Welcome back to another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. On this episode, Bob Allen, Manager of Vegetation Management for Eversource, New Hampshire, joins us again to talk about saluting branches, Eversource's work with the development of utility arboretums, and their 30 Under 30 initiative. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Today, we'd like to welcome back Bob Allen, the uh, Manager of Vegetation at Eversource in New Hampshire. Welcome back, Bob. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, appreciate you coming back. You know, we were uh, talking about so many different subject matter or uh, different topics last time. It really was interesting, and I don't think we fleshed out some of the ones that piqued our interest. So I do appreciate your coming back. When we were wrapping up last time, we were talking some about what I thought was a pretty unique uh, thing you have going there in New Hampshire, something I hadn't heard about before on distribution, uh, really what amounts to a demonstration site. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the utility arboretums that you've established. Okay, Phil, thanks. I appreciate that opportunity. So uh, 2012, um, I was working in New Hampshire. I came up here in 2009 from Connecticut, and I was on the Community Forest Advisory Council, which is a state body. And we met often at the Urban Forestry Center in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, 2012, we had a huge windstorm come through and knock down a grove of mature spruce trees. Uh, really changed the whole outlook of that property. And you could see the, the water where you hadn't been able to see it before. And, uh, but it opened it up right next to the parking lot where there was a whole area that we could do something with. So the uh, Urban Forest Council... Urban Forest uh, Center and the Community Forest Advisory Council got together and uh, decided to come up with some ideas. The first one that really uh, rose to fruition was let's do a utility arboretum there. And uh, some folks didn't know what that was, um, but other folks did and thought it was a great idea. So what we ended up doing was um, clearing an area, putting in two poles, and running primary uh de-energized primary line between the two poles. We selected 20 trees that we thought would grow near the wires uh, without getting into the wires and thought it was a great opportunity for us to help uh, with folks when they pull up to the Urban Forestry Center. Uh, It's right next to the parking lot, and they host a lot of other classes there. There's lots of wildlife and ecology classes there. Uh, So folks that might not be thinking about planting trees uh, every day like we might uh, also um, might once in, a, in their life decide they need to plant a tree or there's something that happened near the wires and their tree came down. So this was something that we thought, well, we're going to get a lot of people uh, to see this property and learn without uh, really anybody forcing it on them. They can go and walk through it and see it on their own. Great demonstration site for all four seasons. Oftentimes when people um, go to purchase a plant, they look at it online and they see a little picture of it and go, oh, I'd really like that. Or they go to a nursery and they see it in a uh, a container or a ball and burlap. And it's hard to imagine what it's going to look like in your in your house sometimes or in your yard. And uh, so four seasons, uh, you can do that at the utility arboretums. You can walk through them and say, boy, what does this tree look like in fall foliage? What's it look like in the spring? What kind of birds and butterflies might it attract? Uh, so we thought of it as a really good idea, and, and I was very, very proud that we were able to work together with it. Uh, it was a true coming together of uh, groups. It was 
the state of New Hampshire with uh, Forest and Lands, which is a group that uh, has a utility or an urban forester. Um, there was also the U.S. Forest Service uh, with their urban forestry group. Asplin Tree helped us with it. And our line department actually set the poles and ran the de-energized line. It seems like it'd be simple to do two poles in one line, but we had to write up a lot of jobs and, and convince a lot of people that this was the thing we needed to do and find ways to, to fund it. Uh, but not that it was an expensive proposition, but it was just something we hadn't done before. And uh, under, the, under the guise of education and uh, innovation, we thought this is something that we should do and help the community out and help uh, the profession out by having an opportunity to look at these trees near the wires. Uh, so we did. Uh, it's been very successful. Um, one of the things I realized about my own talents as far as what trees grow best by the wires is I picked one or two that got a little taller than I thought they were going to get, and they're up in the wires, So, uh, which is great for me because I think that's a demonstration site. That's something we helped we could learn from, and will this tree actually stay at 25 or 30 feet like it says in the book, or will it, you know, will it get bigger? Um, I, I oftentimes refer to Dr. Michael Durr, who's one of my favorite people on the planet, and wrote uh, the Manual of Woody Landscape Plants, which is a very famous book for landscape architects. Uh, but he says, uh, Bob, trees don't read books. So just because it says it's going to be... 25 feet tall, it doesn't mean that's what it's going to end up at. Uh, and so that's a really cool thing for us to learn from. Uh, so that was the first arboretum we built in Portsmouth, and it's still there, 2012, 11 years later. Uh, we've named, we've renamed ourselves. We were public service in New Hampshire in those days, and we went through the merger that we talked about last time, yep. and it's now Eversource. You mentioned it's been super successful. Can you define what the measure of success is for for the arboretum? Is it foot traffic? Is it uh, a planting, a measure of planting post a viewing? Like what, what are your metrics for defining success? Sure. That's a, that's a really excellent question. Something I haven't really thought about, uh, but it is uh, for that particular one. Um, the feedback we get from the folks who work at the urban forest center about the different groups that come in there. And there's a lot of garden clubs that, that visit the urban forest center. And that's become something that, uh, folks look at and they hadn't really thought about trees near the wires. Uh, I've uh, kind of become kind of a, I don't know, a speaker to garden clubs. It seems like every year I do more and more of them, uh, partially because of the utility arboretums. And, and I love trees and I like talking about them. And as you guys can see, you put a microphone in front of me, it's hard to get me to stop. Uh, but um, I think foot traffic is certainly something, but it's mostly the feedback that the Urban Forestry Center gets on how great it is to be able to see those trees near the wires. Got it. For context and for a, a, a deeper understanding of how to how to manage those type of, you know, trees and, and its relation to its space. Yes. And, and also we have them all tagged with little placards in front of them as to what they are. So that helps people too because, you know, you're driving down the street, you see something in flower and you think, oh, that's a really cool plant. I wonder what it is. Um, these ones, we have some flowering shrubs and flowering trees. Uh, so folks can look at it and determine if it's something that would fit in their landscape. Bob, on, on something like that, an arboretum, and, and maybe this is too too specific, but what do you think the total cost of 
setup of something like that is ballpark and, you know, and then the ongoing cost to manage something like that. We have four arboretums now and all of them cost different because uh, they're all different sized. And uh, some of the land might have been already being used for wires. So uh, for that one, I would say uh, the poles, you know, they're probably four to six hundred dollars a piece. Uh, we were able to have our line department set them. So there were some internal costs there. Uh, the trees were actually purchased by the state, by us, and by contractors who wanted to donate to it. And that, uh, as I said, we have four utility arboretums now, and all four of them, that has grown in each one. There's been more and more folks that want to donate trees to it, uh, to be part of it, to be able to take their crew to it and show this is something we were involved in. So for that particular one, I guess a ballpark, I would say we're probably with the 20 trees at 500 bucks a piece. Uh, you know, ten thousand dollars and a couple poles, uh, some signage. So you're probably looking at between ten and fifteen thousand for that one. Got it. And the land is all like—is that leased land? Is that owned land? It's uh, it's all on the urban forestry uh, center grounds, and they do the maintenance, such as any pruning that might be needed, or uh, oh, cool, or mowing and and uh, watering. Uh, so it's been a very good relationship because they've they've got interns on occasion that work there. And gives the, those folks a chance to be exposed to it and and uh, learn a little bit more about the trees. Um, so I think that was definitely the cheapest one we did, uh, the first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, because it became, it seemed like such a good idea. Uh, and I, I guess I'll go a little farther into the fact that after we had that merger with NSTAR and NU, uh, we had our first all hands meeting with vegetation management and our. Our director at the time, Vera Admore-Sechi, asked if I had a place in New Hampshire we could have the meeting. I said, sure, let's do it there, the Urban Forestry Center. So we did. And uh, she uh, was very impressed with the utility arboretum. And she said to me, I want you to build one of these in Massachusetts and one in Connecticut and because uh, I think it's a great idea and I think it's something the company should be behind. I told her, you know, I think it's a great idea too, but I really had just covered New Hampshire, so I don't think I'll be able to help you on and that, and then a month later, she gave me Massachusetts, and uh, so I had Massachusetts and New Hampshire. And I was able to yeah. to work to fulfill her vision. Oh, oh, great! You think the rest of the country is is like has this been something that's nationally started to to gain some attention? And you think this will get picked up by other peer utilities? Sure, I think it. There are ones that probably existed before ours. Um, I know that there was a. Something in, I think it was Virginia Tech area or West Virginia that uh, somebody was doing uh, one down there as more as a research site, but also. Uh, so I don't know how much more it's it's grown. Uh, I expect, as William mentioned, we'll be writing an article uh, for the UIA magazine. I think that will help a little bit with people learning more about it. It's such a nice commitment to your customers and to your communities uh, because it's not a big investment. It's there year round. I was going to say, how do you drive people to the site? How do you get there? Sure. That's that's a, question. an excellent question. So the next one, thankfully, we were able to build at University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Uh, I looked around, talked to lots of Massachusetts tree wardens looking for a site, and uh, we didn't find one in any particular town park. UMass Amherst, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's a beautiful spot, great campus. The whole campus is an arboretum. And they have an area called the Agricultural Learning Center, uh, and that's 40 acres. It's devoted to research, to student gardens, to uh, bee study, 
and there's some livestock on it as well. And there was this open area next to a gravel road they really hadn't done anything with. They had pushed rocks and dirt into it, into the side of the road, and just uh, hadn't really thought about using it for anything. Um, Dr. Dennis Ryan, who led uh, Stockbridge School of Agriculture, uh, talked to me about it, and Dr. Brian Kane, who's still at UMass. Dr. Ryan is retired, and we we uh, determined that that would be a great spot for a utility arboretum, um, but it needed a lot of prep. Uh, so we went in there with the Asplen crew and cleared the area. We worked with the UMass grounds crew, and uh, it's probably one of the nicer ones um, when you think about how it was built because it's got um, apprentice linemen that helped build it. They couldn't have built it if it was live. Mm-hmm. This was stuff that they wouldn't have been um, talented or trained enough to do yet. So they were able to build uh, the utility arboretum at a university where kids are learning every day. The apprentices were learning. So I thought it was just a really super situation for us to, again, another great partnership between public and private. Um, we ended up at that utility arboretum with uh, seven poles, a thousand feet of wire. And the really nice thing about that is it was all new. So we could design it any way we wanted. Uh, and we have uh, poles with three-phase cross arms on it, three-phase spacer cable. We have a transformer bank on one. We have a uh, pad mount transformer also on the grounds. Uh, we go from three phase to bare wire to covered wire to spacer cable down to single phase down to secondary. So, uh, if somebody was coming to look at, uh, and the, what we had envisioned was a, a tree warden that wanted to save a big tree, but didn't know that you could maybe engineer the wires around that big tree by putting it on an alley arm or, or on spacer cable, we wanted to be able to show that as a way to help educate landscape architects, tree wardens, folks that might be looking to save trees, uh, that mature trees that um, were part of a development or part of a situation where they might be in the way of something new coming in. Uh, this gives people a lot of chances to think about what tree, ripe tree, right place, and, and how to work the wires around the tree. I take my boys to this local arboretum. It's beautiful, uh, but obviously they don't have this set up inside but it's it's quite a bit of land and and lots of different types of vegetation so if you get a random call from somebody at an arboretum in houston (laughs) it's because i was like shaming them and not having this set up so you might have to do something in houston as well bob lead the way yeah i think i think that's a great idea it's uh it's certainly the one at umass i'm very proud of the company's proud of because of how, how it all came together we were able to put the apprentices down there for a week building, and they got so much great experience. And it was just bare ground that we had cleared. Um, so we got some great pictures of it. Uh, and then the students helped us plant the trees. Uh, the grounds crew helped us. Uh, there was two professors there uh, teaching classes about planting while we were there. So it just became such a wonderful uh, communal effort for all of us to uh, work together to get to this point where uh, it really is one of the nicer ones I've seen and got about 70 trees there now. Um, what we do is we measure the trees every year uh, to see how much they grow, uh, try and do some research on whether they're the right tree in the right place, whether it's the right soil for them. Did they get enough water? 
we did do some zone pushing. And by that, I mean you take something that is supposed to grow farther south and you push it into an, a more northerly area. We did that with crepe myrtle, which is not oh, considered a, a, a western Massachusetts plant. It's generally down uh, southeast. Um, so we brought that up. Uh, we planted one, and it died back all the way to the ground the first year. Came up with kind of a rosette the next year. Um, grew a few feet, died back again. Uh, four years into it, it's now a, I don't know if I'd call it a viable plant yet, but it's still kicking. And and, and I think that speaks to uh, the plant's resiliency, for one, but also the possibility that the climate's changing a little and that some of these things that have been southerly plants are moving north. And some of our northerly plants, such as white birch and sugar maple, are, are tending to move even farther north. So we're seeing that. Uh, which opens up for landscape architects a whole different avenue of plants, some mid-Atlantic plants that might be able to be used in New England now. So I look at it as a research site for that, uh, seeing how these plants actually do there. Wow, I'm putting it near the university. It's a recruitment tool too. It is. Maybe some of these graduates won't be able to say, I never heard of utility, <laughs> arboriculture, or forestry. Right, right. We um, we left a couple of large mature trees there to show um, how, what can happen when a tree gets in the wires. It's dead. It's a de-energized uh, facility. But we thought if we left these large trees there, we could then come and show the students how to take a tree down near the wires, how to prune it near the wires, and maybe get some students up in the air in our buckets. Uh, we haven't accomplished that yet. We've done several training days there with different tree contractors and also some folks from Eversource. And some municipalities have been there. Uh, because it's de-energized, you can put the bucket truck up and you can uh, gauge how far away the guy is from the, the wires. And, and it's a good training method for people like spotters to be able to determine if, they, if the bucket's getting too close. So really stuff that we didn't think about when we were thinking about building a utility arboretum. Uh, the safety aspect of it has be- become enormous for what our contractors use it for. We had a two-day session there this year. We're going to have a three-day session uh, in 2024. So pretty excited about that. Leave some heavily uh, pruned trees to show them what, why you don't want to have too tall a tree out there. That's <laughs> correct. Yep. Uh, we actually planted two sugar maples and two oaks underneath the wires, and we're using uh, growth regulators, to uh, one as a control and one being treated to see if uh, we can show how fast those will grow with growth regulators and without growth regulators. What what somewhat has impressed me about this whole initiative is like, you know, it's a it's a forward thinking initiative. It's not part of you, what you you do as a core, you know, service to your to your footprint and to your customers. But it's it's added spend, but it has a lot of qualitative benefit, of course. And you know, it's an investment into to to the community. It's an investment into the future generations that are entering the space. Um, one of the things that I've been coming across a lot as I've been in my travels and, and speaking with several like utility leaderships is it's a tight environment, right? We're in a, it's a, it's an inflationary environment. Um, a lot of regulatory scrutiny on utilities, uh, making everything kind of a cost conversation. And yet, you know, you guys have, have made these commitments and made these investments, like talk a little bit about the culture of Eversource and what, what allows your specific utility to be committed to these things, despite being in these complex financial times. 
Well, hopefully the tree guy can answer this question. That's a pretty big question, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the in the regulatory environment, I think folks uh, in New England, uh, it's pretty densely populated, and we have lots of trees. So the regulatory environment, they're concerned about how best we trim the trees and and curtail costs whenever possible on trimming trees. I mentioned in the last time we talked about the various bugs and diseases that were affecting the the forest. So uh, looking to plant trees that might not be uh, ash or hemlock or pine, uh, trees that are being affected by these bugs and, and diseases, I think the regulators look at it as like, well, that's pretty, like you said, forward-thinking idea. Let's put something else out there so we're not killing trees. And if these trees are only going to get 20 to 30 feet tall, then that will reduce our costs in the future as far as trimming goes. Is it a drop in the bucket? Perhaps at this point, perhaps in my career. But I think long-term, uh, the more smaller growing trees we have out there adjacent to the wires, the less trimming we'll have to do. As far as the, the greater question about sustainability and um, how we look at our role in the community, we certainly believe strongly that uh, we are leaders in and looking at the environment and working with the environment. Uh, our folks in the veg group are all arborists. We're all trained. We're all college educated. Not that that says you're going to do it right, but it helps to show that the commitment is there. Uh, we're all part of our statewide arborist associations. Um, we've done this uh, poster behind me, this 30 under 30, which is 30 trees that only grow 30 feet tall. And we sent that out to 1,200 garden centers and nurseries uh, and actually big box stores. We also sent it to 500 uh, town halls uh, in our franchise territory. And the idea was if we can put it up in a, in a town hall or at a garden center, and it, it starts with planting a tree is the headline, planting a tree. And then it gives you 30 trees that only grow 30 feet tall. And it's got a little bit of info about each one. Maybe it attracts birds or it has a great fall color, whatever it might be. Um, in New England, people love maple trees. Maples are uh, part of our whole thing with maple syrup and the fall foliage. Um, we did this poster, uh, alphabetical by botanical name, and maple is Acer, is the genus. So the first five plants on this are all maples. And you think, well, how are you going to have maples that are only going to grow up to 30 feet tall? Well, there are several, and we have them on this poster. So I think that's a commitment to the sustainability part. Uh, and showing that we think about what else can work in this environment. If we all plant ashes and, and pines and hemlocks, we're going to have less trees because they're not going to survive these uh, impactful diseases and bugs that are affecting them. Um, additionally, we're looking at uh, another series of posters uh, that we're hoping to do. We did something called a pollinator roadmap, which was uh, a trifold. We also sent that out to all the nurseries and towns. Um, and it just showed pollinating plants or plants that are good for pollinators that you could put in your garden or in, in your uh, in your town if you had a park. Um, next thing we're looking at is uh, reptiles and amphibians that exist in our rights-of-way. Because most people are looking up when they're walking in the right-of-way. They're looking at what what the wires are, where the trees are. But there's a lot of things that are on the ground and turtles and snakes and amphibians and salamanders. And, and we want to make sure that uh, we're managing not just the wires, we're managing that ecosystem as best as we can. Uh, so I think that the fact that 
the company supports these initiatives speaks an awful lot about where our goals and our and our uh, our thoughts are about the environment. Uh, we want to be somebody that can be looked to as somebody that helps manage the ecosystem as opposed to uh, the historical, you know, oh, he's just a utility guy. No, we're looking at trying to be part ecologist. I think the, the the best thing we could do is blur the edges between horticulture and ecology. If we can plant the right tree in the right place and have it be part of the ecosystem uh, that is necessary and helps with the pollinators and, and the other birds and, and stuff that exists in that right away, that would be tremendous to me that we could actually make that kind of commitment. And we have. That's amazing. You've personally made a commitment, right? I have, yes. Are, are you uh, willing to show us your commitment? <laughs> uh, oh, uh, on the plan before uh, you plant? No, uh, yeah. You, uh, uh, show me your arm. Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I figure if I'm going to go talk to everybody about plan before you plant, I should show. Uh, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> plan before you plant, left forearm. It's a acorn tattoo, uh, and it's surrounded by the words plan before you plant. And uh, that's not something new. People have thought about plan before you plant and right tree, right place. Uh, but it really becomes an important message uh, when we look at all these trees that are dying in, in the roadside forest. It's <laughs> something that I was really, I thought I got to show the commitment to this. The company's showing a commitment to me by allowing us to build these utility arboretums. I think it's important that um, I, I walk the talk, you know? Uh, yeah. And, what are we going to plant to make sure that we can sustain the roadside forest, that we can sustain, sustain the, uh, the birds and butterflies that might be relying on uh, the forest? So uh, granted, it's an arboricultural thing, planting one tree at a time, as opposed to a forestry thing where you're planting thousands of seedlings. Uh, but I think the fact that we look at what is the right tree in the right place? I remember working for the city of Springfield uh, back in the 70s in a forestry group, and we would plant sugar maples, and oftentimes they were touching the cable wire, the cable TV wire, when we put them in the ground, uh, which was just, to me, it wasn't going to make much sense because they were going to have to be pruned at some point. Uh, but those were the trees we could afford at the, with the city's budget, and that's people wanted sugar maples, so we put them in. Uh, now you go to the city of Springfield, and through a lot of evolution, they are planting hardy rubber trees, uh, eucomia. They're planting uh, lots of bare root trees, uh, fruit trees, and stuff that is just makes a lot more sense for under the wire. So you mentioned that like some of the trees that have been victim to insects, bugs, all this kind of stuff. Is that is that a new phenomenon? Like were those trees when they were originally planted? You know, were those insects a consideration or was that something new that that sort of developed within the ecosystem and what's to say that some of these new plantings aren't going to face a similar risk you're right they might face a similar risk at some point we can't guarantee that they won't uh, we do do some research on what they've been affected by so far and whether it's worth uh, are they going to be vigorous in the landscape if they're not going to be vigorous then we're just going to add to the problems uh, but so gypsy moth, which is now called spongy moth, was released in, I, I forget the date, but it was the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, it was brought over here as a way to, I think, hybridize with another moth and, and make silk uh, quicker. Uh, it, it escaped and has, uh, loves oak trees, and it has a population uh, explosion and crash, kind of cyclical, you know, seven to ten years. 
and it's been in New England and, and other parts of the country for since the 1900s. Uh, we experienced a big problem with it in New England the last five years. It's gotten better. 2023, it was better in New Hampshire, uh, but it had been uh, very bad in Connecticut and Massachusetts. So ash trees, emerald ash borer, uh, all the ash trees that are here were not, they are susceptible to the emerald ash borer, but that was not a bug that was in the United States until the early 2000s or late 90s. I'm not sure exactly when it came, but the feeling was it came in some pallet wood over, shipped over uh, from uh, into Michigan, and it, it's just released and just continues to grow as far as uh, the amount of damage it's doing. The white pine, I think, is somewhat struggling because of the climate, because of people pressure diseases, because of many bugs that affect it. It's a dominant species. There's a lot of them. They're tall and they're attractive to lots of insects that are looking for food. So I think that's something that's just more what you're talking about. Did it just kind of come out of the ecosystem and, uh, and just de- determine that it was something that could uh, could feed on these pines. But the gypsy moth and the emerald ash borer were introduced species to the New England forest. So, wanted to shift gears and talk a little bit about saluting branches. Um, sure. You wanna you wanna talk a little bit about that and let our audience know the, that initiative and its impact. Sure. Thanks for that. Saluting branches is a, a wonderful wonderful organization. Uh, every September, they for the last nine years, 2024 will be the 10th year, uh, a group that was started fairly small um, of dedicated arborists thought they should do a day of service to veterans' cemeteries. Uh, a lot of times the cemeteries do not have a budget for tree work, uh, and therefore they're mowing a lot. There's a lot of grass in cemeteries, but some of these trees were not being taken care of. Uh, this group are really forward-thinking. Arborists thought, there's something we could do. We can help. We can just donate our services. Uh, and I think there might have been less than 10 c- cemeteries the first year. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's over 100 cemeteries. Uh, and it's every state in the nation and uh, a couple of places off the continent that they're also doing it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be involved. Eversource has supported it all nine years in all three states. Uh, Bourne Cemetery, Bourne National Cemetery down in Cape Cod, is the second largest veteran cemetery in the country next to Arlington. And there's so much land and trees and work to do down there uh, that we have been there every year for nine years, uh, improving the safety and the health of the trees. Uh, This past year, I was involved and I was very fortunate to be the site leader at a place called Cathedral of the Pines in Ringe, New Hampshire. Um, it was a, it's a veterans memorial. You can't have your ashes buried there, but, uh, so it is a cemetery too. Uh, it was started by a family whose son was shot down in World War II and where he was going to build a house on the farm property. Um, they had a memorial the next year, uh, after he had not come home and, the local folks in the southwestern New Hampshire Monadnock region uh, saw this, and some other folks that had lost people in their family asked if they could join in. and And it's been over seventy five years now of annually celebrating uh, our fallen and also our veterans. Uh, it is also a natural place, uh, so it's a really cool uh, location. It also uh, suffered from a huge storm problem. In 2008, we had a huge ice storm up here 
and uh, knocked out 75% of our customers for up to two weeks. I think everybody came back on on Christmas Eve of 2008. But what it did at the Cathedral Appliance is it knocked down over 100 large pine trees that had blocked the view of Mount Monadnock. So it opened this up, and now you have this beautiful place where uh, there's an altar that's been uh, it's non-denominational. The whole thing is non-denominational. But several presidents have sent a, a rock or a stone from their home state, and that's been incorporated into the altar. And the altar, when you're looking at it, you're looking at Mount Monadnock behind it. So it's a very spiritual place, very restful place. And we were able to go there this year with over 80 volunteers, uh, which I think was the largest uh, this year. We had two cranes, several bucket trucks. Uh, and nobody had ever done this type of work at this property because it's a nonprofit and and uh, they really pick up things when they fall, but that's about all they had done as far as tree work goes. So we were able to really transform the property. Um, and uh, I've never been prouder to be an arborist than I was that day to see everybody work together. All these different companies that um, oftentimes are competing for jobs against each other, all working together, uh, professional safe. We didn't have one incident with safety. Uh, we did some really amazing work. And I thank the folks at Saluting Branches for for picking that site because it, it's tremendous that um, we can help uh, these places where families go to visit their loved ones and, and they can see uh, maybe a little hint of beauty every time we do something out there. We also planted some trees. And I think that's becoming more of a thing is at saluting branches because we've been working on a lot of these places that uh, now we're planting trees. Uh, so really uh, very happy to be part of it. Thank you for asking me about it. It's something that I think, I think all arborists are happy to be part of it when they can. And uh, it's, I hope it continues to grow. Yeah. I think it's uh what better way to honor, you know, um, honor those who have fallen with, you know, with such a, it's just such a, gesture. It, it's such a representation. It's such a uh, memory, you know, something that continues to grow and something you'll always see and remember and it triggers a thought. It's it's just fantastic. Yeah. And the teamwork and camaraderie, which you would expect the folks in the military had experienced, we're showing the same type of teamwork to do things together with people from all over that maybe never met each other before and and uh, working together. I was I was very impressed with with the professionalism of the group. Yeah, my business partner, our CEO, um, served in the Navy and um, in the Presidential Guard. And, and so, um, you know, we get very uh, excited about initiatives like this because it's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's giving back to, to, to a community of folks that are doing such wonderful things for our country. So, I do have a question for you, Bob, because somewhere in our discussions, we talked about, uh, you know, we always like to end with, you know, what are you suggest for those that are coming behind us and i know you've talked some about don't stop learning yep yeah so you can you know share that encouragement to some of the peers or younger peers but also tell us how do you apply that to yourself how do you go about continually learning (laughs) uh great question phil i think i wake up every day First off, happy that I'm I'm waking up and going to work. I really love going to work, and I uh, I look on the way into work. Has something changed uh, when I? Because I'm oftentimes at a desk. I'm not out in the field like I would like to be. Uh, but um, so if I'm at a desk, 
what can I learn today? I'll, I might, if I take a lunch break, I might take a book off the shelf and just try and learn something. But oftentimes it's, it's what I saw on the way in. I saw uh, a bird or a, a tree that was showing some kind of uh, coloration that I didn't expect it to show. And then it causes me to start researching what was that. Maybe on the way home, if it's not dark, I'll stop and take a look at that tree and see if I can figure something else out by walking around it. I think that the spark of continuous learning is is really it's a commitment to yourself. Uh, we can all go through life and and you know survive or exist, uh, but really trying to make yourself better, uh, trying to um, be a person who can um, be thought of as someone who can help. I really like helping. Uh, one of the things about uh, the saluting branches that I really got the most joy out of was seeing people help each other and help this uh, this day turn into a huge success. Um, I have a huge library of tree books, and I don't know that I'll ever read them all. It doesn't stop me from buying them um, because I, I just know there's something in there that someday I'm going to open up a page and go, wow, I wish I had known that 20 years ago. But it's uh, if you're committed to a field or even where you live, if you have a commitment to place, I think it's incumbent upon you to continue to show energy into bettering that place as best you can and bettering yourself as best you can. I think the energy that we bring to any kind of uh, get-together or any kind of work uh, is incumbent upon us to bring that energy. If we just expect somebody else to bring it, um, we probably aren't going to learn much that day. Uh, you got to have the attitude. They say that the only thing you can choose really is your attitude. And, and that might seem a little trite, but it's the truth. Uh, if you go into something, just, eh, I don't know if I want to go to this meeting today, you're probably not going to get much out of that meeting. Most people are going to kind of wish you weren't there. Uh, but if you go into it thinking, wow, you know, I've been to these meetings before, but maybe I'll get something out of this one different. You know, if I can uh, meet somebody different, talk to somebody and learn something. So I think that's what I would suggest, Phil, is the best thing to do is just keep that open mind and open eyes and open ears and and try and figure out, is there something along my path today that's different than it was yesterday? And if it is, is it worth my energy and time to go investigate what it is? And more often than not, it pays back tenfold if you, if you do invest yeah. the time and energy. It's, uh, as I look at who I personally look to as the industry leaders, they're always learning. And you can, you know, always seeking to learn. And they're yeah. also always giving back. And I saw both of those in you, Bob, so. Oh, thank you. That's very kind yeah. and generous of you. Bob, thanks for making uh, time. This is part two. Um, you know, part one was a great conversation. Part two, we got a chance to build on it, got to know you on a on a more intimate level. And it's you're doing some amazing things. Um, and we want to continue to hear more. And hopefully, you know, we can do a, an update with you in, in, you know, six months, a year, and kind of see uh, the continued development of some of these great initiatives. Thank you. I'd love to be part of that uh, with you guys again. So awesome. really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thank you for uh, hosting me. Of course. Yeah. Give me a chance. Thank you, sir. Very good. Appreciate thanks, it. Bob. Appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Bob. Happy New Year. All right. That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.